I rarely speak about political things in this church. Uh, we don't believe in Celebration Church that you have to be of any particular political mindset. If anything, I think the greatest testament of the strength of this church is that we can all be very different and still love each other. It, it, there's no testimony to having a bunch of people who all think the same. A lot of churches tend to do that. They tend to People all gravitate together, all kind of think the same, or they all have the same, you know, side of the tracks that they come from, or the same, you know, way that they dress, or financial world. Uh, we have always striven to be as broad-based as we can. Uh, we don't care who you are, where you come from, what color you are, how you vote, how you think. Uh, and I think that's the beauty of this church, is that you can be very different, we can still love each other. You can be a hardcore, crazy conservative, or a psycho, wacko liberal, we don't care, okay? Uh, you can be a Democrat, you can be a Republican, you can be a communist, I don't care, okay? And again, I think it's fabulous when I see somebody out in the foyer with a recall walker button hugging somebody who's a conservative, you know, Republican. I think that's great. That's the way church should be. We don't all have to agree about everything, right? Okay? So, and you know we have striven for that for a very, very long time. So we don't get into that stuff here and don't plan to get into it. Uh, I will, on very rare occasion, bring up something that uh, involves politicians when it affects the church. Now, the last time I did this was two, three years ago when we had some aldermen in the city of Green Bay with a Napoleon complex who thought there was something because they're an alderman. We, you know, and they decided that they were going to tell the Catholic Church that they could no longer uh, take care of, um, you know, homeless people in Green Bay because of housing, because of what do you call those uh, zoning laws and stuff like that. They use zoning laws to you know, provide their little kingdom like we're some kind of fiefdom. And uh, uh, I railed against that. Democrat and Republican back there, all those guys are all a bunch of nutcases as far as I'm concerned. They have no business telling people of faith and infringing on our religious liberties because they think they want to do some kind of a zoning change. Hogwash. And I spoke about it uh, publicly uh, from the platform on our television program. I had an op-ed in the newspaper condemning this. I said one of the greatest threats to religious liberty doesn't come from the federal government, comes from these little pinheads who think they have so much power and they can start using zoning laws. And I promise you, to this day, it's still the greatest threat. Churches across America, they use zoning laws to tell churches where they can meet, when they can meet, how they can meet, what they can do, what they can't do. I do not think our founding fathers would roll over in their graves if they saw the kind of infringement. And make no mistake, people, just because someone had won and secured for us the right to liberty or to bear arms or speech or religion, that those are secured for life. They are not. We still have to stay vigilant. You cannot let people, for whatever their motives are, I don't know what goes on in people's brains. Left, right, center, I don't really care. When they start crossing those lines, people of faith in this country respectively need to stand up and say, no, you cannot do this. Now that was a couple of years ago. Now I'm gonna bring one up today. Because, as many of you know, the big firestorm this week as the Obama administration has pulled the same kind of nonsense on infringing upon religious liberties. Now, some of you love Obama, some of you can't stand him. That has nothing to do with this. This is not a partisan issue. 
This is a religious liberty issue. When they decree now from the powers from on high in Washington what churches must or must not do, even if it goes against their religious beliefs, it's outrageous and it has no place in American uh, life. And uh, there's been a big fire storm about it. He came out Friday, gave a little bit of an adjustment to it. He's well, we won't make the church pay for it, but their insurance company has to pay for it, which is just a joke. It's just doublespeak. It meant nothing. And the uh, bishops came out against it. Again, the Catholics, poor Catholics are always beating up on the Catholics. You know, but not just Catholics. We can't, you see this happening with one group. We need to stand up or they'll come after us, I promise you. And uh, so, uh, you know, the Southern Baptist, the largest denomination, Protestant denomination in America, came out very strong against it. Said, we'll go to jail before we go along with this. I mean, they, there's a firestorm happening. You need to let your elected representatives, your congressman, senator know this is an outrage and it will not stand. We cannot have this kind of nonsense. I don't know what is going on in their brains in D.C. There's something in the water over there that makes them all crazy. But this is wrong, and we will stand against it, and we will resist it. There's no way. We're not going to put, a, put up with this kind of nonsense. And this isn't just a Republican deal. Manchin, Democrat from West Virginia, is against it. Casey, Democrat from Pennsylvania, is against it. Larson from leftist Connecticut is against it. Lipinski from crazy Illinois is against it. Kane, the former leader of the DNC, came out against it initially at the beginning of, of last week. Lieberman, Jewish guy, independent, against it. Liberal commentators like Mark Shields has cried out against it. Libertarians have cried out against it. This is an overreach that is not their stinking business. And they have no right to do this, and we need to let them know. And that's all I have to say about that. You guys need to remember this when you go in the voting booth next. This is November. Don't let this stuff stand. And for the love of heaven, use your brains. I, I get so irritated. I've been watching this Republican thing. You mean to let, I, in all my life, I have never made a voting decision based on a TV commercial in my life. How dumb are these people? Now, I used to do this for a living. I was in the ministry for many years, then I got out of the ministry for 15 years, and I got back in again in my late 40s. And for a while, I did this for a living. I made political commercials. And we sit around and laugh. And how we could create one commercial and see the polls change just like that. I despised it then and I despise it now. These people talk about, you know, this one guy's way in, it, in the polls and they see a bunch of commercials come out against one guy and then it changes. Seriously? Have they no brains in their heads? A 30-second commercial is going to change. If you let a commercial change your opinions, there's something wrong with you. Get educated. Find out the facts. Know what you're talking about. These commercials should have no bearing on any of this nonsense if we're educated. This is, that was free. That just irritates me. <laughs> that had nothing to do with anything. That just irritates me. Commercial heaven's sakes. All right. Matthew, the fourth chapter. We are going through the book of Matthew. We'll do it just a little bit today because I talked so long on all this other nonsense. But... Uh, uh, we're going verse by verse, looking at the message of Jesus. Now, we just finished reading how Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, even though John the Baptist did not want to baptize him and disagreed with the idea of baptizing him. But he did it anyway. We talked about that. Obedience, you don't have to agree with it. You just need to do it. That's why it's called obedience. That's what John the Baptist did. So then we read now, when then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This is his next step. 
after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. What <laughs> do you think? <laughs> 40 minutes and I get hungry. And then the tempter, talking about Satan, came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command. Now the devil quotes the Bible back at him. He will command his angels concerning you. They'll lift you up in their hands so that you don't strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written... Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended to him. That's a very famous portion of scripture. This is the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Now, there's much for us to learn here. When it comes to defeating Satan in your life, the temptations and frustrations that you have in your life, the question is how much of it is up to you to overcome and how much of it is up to God? And the answer actually is it takes 100% of you and 100% of God, if you're going to do this right. It's what we were talking about earlier, how you really know God blesses you. You do the very best you can, and God comes along and helps your best become even better. All right? Now look at Jesus' temptations. The first temptation was doubt. Sometimes we feel bad because we begin to doubt, but even Jesus was tempted with doubt because Satan comes to him and says, if you're the son of God. He says it to him a couple of times. Well, if you're the son of God. Well, Jesus knew who he was. But he's throwing doubt in his head. You know, if you're going to do this and then do that, okay? Make no mistake, Satan will try and get you to doubt. Does God really care about me? Does God really listen to me? Do prayers really work? Da, da, da. Listen, just hang in there. It is just one of the ways Satan tries to discourage people by sticking doubt in their head. And just because doubt comes in your head, you have to yield to it. Just press on. Be faithful. Trust God. So... Then, aside from doubt, which was he was trying to stick in his head, there were three basic needs. The first one was an immediate need. He was hungry. He hadn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. So it was a very long time. So Satan comes to him and says, here, if you're the son of God, turn this rock into bread. And Jesus had the power to do that. But he's trying to get Jesus just to respond quickly to an immediate need. Get what you want right now, right now, right now. <laughs> and Jesus quoted the Bible to him. And rebuked him for trying to get him to turn rock into bread. And you have to know something about your needs. God knows you have needs. We will see this as we start reading the Sermon on the Mount, which is coming up right after this a little bit in chapter 5, uh, where he says, look, God knows you have needs, and he's willing to give you whatever you need if you will put God first. That's where we make the mistake. Because the need becomes so big, and it becomes so loud. I need it might be money. Oh, it might be sickness. Oh, whatever. It just seems to scream in your face. And you can get so just consumed by this need in your life. You have to remember, hey, God is bigger than my need. Let me put my trust in God. He will help me with what I need. The people who get this 
know what I'm talking about. You're the ones who overwhelmingly have your needs met and God answers your prayers. Those of you who struggle, it's because you're more consumed by your need. You're so overwhelmed by what you need. It's so big. It's all you can see is what I need, what I need, what I need. And then God and everything else becomes secondary. And that's when you don't ever wind up getting what you need. And you live what is known as a frustrated life. As a Christian, this should not be. God knows your needs. He will help meet your needs. But you need to trust in him. All right? Secondly, Satan tried to uh, tempt him by saying, oh, just throw it all on God. God will do everything for you. He takes him on top of the temple. Just throw yourself down. And he quotes the Bible. God will take care of you. God will take care of you. And of course, Jesus quoted the Bible back to him and said, no, 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 no. You can't tempt God that way. There's a lesson here for us. We need to realize that uh, we need to trust in God, but you still need to do some things. You need to do what you need to do and not just totally trust in God. All right? That's an easy way. God just do everything. I don't have to do anything. Well, that's not how it works. You still have to do the right things, even though you're waiting on God. Many of you know that I'm a pilot. I fly myself in around a little six-place airplane to these conferences that I speak at all the time and get back here to preach. Uh, as it, you know, so I've been flying for 20 years and have thousands of hours of flying and lots of experience. But still, I go annually for recurrent training. We go down to Florida, they put us in simulators and they try to make us crash. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. I have learned that if you're going to crash, better to do it in a simulator. <laughs> and they run you through all the paces and to see if they can mess you up and cause you to crash. They're trying to teach you, okay? But I promise you, when I get into that airplane, my trust is not in the engine. It is not in the wings, and it is not in my ability. As I'm flying, I'm still trusting God. But you can't just be careless and say, well, I, you know, I don't know, I just trust God. I'm going to prepare to be fine. God will take care of us. That's a dangerous place to be. That you don't want to do. All right? It sounds like you're being spiritual. Oh, I just trust God. I just trust God. I'm just going to trust God, you know. Sounds very spiritual, but that, no, no, no. You need to do what you need to do. When I got in that airplane, I'm pretty sure there's fuel in it before I go. I make sure the engine has been properly maintained in great detail. We go over, we walk around everything, we check all the systems before we fire that rascal up and go flying into the wild blue. Our trust ultimately is always in God to see us through and keep us safe. But you still need to do what you need to do. And then, of course, lastly, he was tempting Jesus to take a shortcut. Now, he took him, showed him all the kingdoms of the earth and said, I'll get them all to worship you if you just worship me first. I'll give it all to you. Now, Jesus knew who he was. He knew he was going to the cross. He was going to die. He was going to be raised from the dead. He told his disciples all this before it ever happened. This was no surprise to him. The disciples were kind of thick. They never quite got it. But uh, he knew all this was going to happen. And as a result, he would be lifted up. Every knee would bow. Every tongue would confess that he is Lord. And someday every nation on the earth will turn all of his attention to worshiping and praising Jesus. Now, Satan comes along and says, well, I'll give you a shortcut. I'll give you all that now. Won't have to go to the cross. Won't have to suffer. Won't have to wait. You can have it now. If you just bow down and worship me. And again, Jesus quoted the Bible to him and rebuked him. There's always a temptation 
to try and take a shortcut, especially when you have this need or this desire that you want, that you start taking shortcuts uh, and not waiting for God. Don't do that, particularly for you younger people. You're just kind of getting into life and there'll be things put before you, a lot of temptations, a lot of sexual temptations out there. You know, you know it's not like God is against you having those things. You can have all of it. Just do it right. That's the point. Don't take the shortcuts. You take the shortcuts, you'll pay a very high price. And in the end, you will be very unhappy. This is not a healthy thing for you. Do it right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I don't know what, God must, I'm surprised he doesn't just kill us all. If I were God, I'd kill us all. You know, we, you know it's, it's like people are saying, well, I, I got to do it, I got to, they do it wrong. And it's like, it's not like God was saying you can't do it. You can do it, just do it right. Do it the right way. Live life the right way. God is not against you. He is for you. He wants to bless you and satisfy you, the Bible says, with good things. But don't take the shortcut. You take the shortcut, what's ironic about the shortcut is you never really get what you wanted in the first place. It just cuts you short. Your victory in your life will require two things. One, intense determination on your part. Jesus was very determined. Fasting for four days, 40 nights. That sounds pretty determined to me. Okay? You need to do everything you can to live out this life of faith. But you can't trust just yourself. Because number two, it will require divine intervention in your life. You can't do Christianity on your own. First of all, you can't do Christianity on your own if you don't try to do the best you can. If you just sit around waiting for God to do anything, it's not going to work. But if you try to do it all in your own strength, oh, I won't sin, oh, I'm going to do this, I won't do this, I'm going to do this, and, and you will find yourself failing over and over and over again. Why? Because you can't just do it on your own strength. You need God. You need to give all of your own but then trust in God and release the power of God in your life. There are many challenges. You will all have challenges. Don't get discouraged when you have challenges. Jesus said to him who overcomes, I will allow to live with me in eternity. Well, you can't be an overcomer if you don't have something to overcome. Don't get mad when you have things to overcome. This is how you become an overcomer. And only overcomers get to heaven. That's why only married people will get to heaven. <laughs> just teasing, just teasing. Don't get mad. These are things you need to trust. Do your best, but trust in God and release the power of God in your life. This is the big question. How do you do that? How do you release the power of God to resist Satan who tries to defeat you in life? Well, the answer is very simple. As you read what Jesus did. You notice when Jesus was being tempted by the devil, he didn't use his God powers to get rid of the devil. I'm sure he could have squished the devil or flicked him like a booger. But he didn't do that. How did he release the power of God? Jesus released the power of God. He quoted the Bible to him. He says, it is written. And he quoted the Bible. And oh, the devil hates that. And the devil comes at him again. And Jesus says, uh-uh. It is written. Oh, he hates that. The third time, it is written. Oh, he took off. He couldn't take it anymore. There is great power in the scriptures. You need to understand something. The Bible is just not a book of words. It is not poetry. It's not Shakespeare. It's not just a history lesson. It is the power of God. 
In fact, it refers to Jesus in John's gospel. He says, when Jesus was born, they called him the Word made flesh. This incredible power they refer to as the Word of God. Jesus was considered the living Word of God. The Word of God is incredibly powerful. If you haven't learned this yet, you, this is a big lesson in life you have failed to get. This is why we're going through the Bible verse at a time through the, the book of Matthew. here, trying to get you to see it. But you need to get this in your life. And there's so many resources today. Many of you just go online. Google tempts, you know, scriptures for temptation. Or if you're struggling with physical problems or, you know, or whatever it is in life. There's so many Bible verses that apply to your life. And you start praying these verses. You start saying these verses. You start speaking the word of God in your life. It releases the power of God. And it changes your circumstances. People who do this know what I'm talking about. These are the people who overwhelmingly succeed in life as Christians. Because they've learned the scriptures and they speak the word of God into their lives and it releases the power of God just like it did for Jesus. And it changes things. Those of you who struggle the most in life, despite your best efforts, you cry. <laughs> you pray, oh God help me, oh God help me. You try to do the best you can and life still sucks for you. Because you've never learned to speak the Bible. You've never learned to take the scriptures and apply them into your life and speak them into your life. That's why we have the Bible. And again, you can stop at a Christian bookstore. I, I, I presume our bookstore has things like this too. Where there's all kinds of books. There's a gazillion of them. Books, scriptures for different situations in life. Again, it might be health, it might be finances, it might be temptation, it might be, a, you know, your marriage. It could be a dozen different things you're struggling with in life. They've gone through and they've already done the work for you. Just stop by and get one of those little books. And when you're struggling in life, whatever it is, learn to speak the Bible into your life and you will watch what happens. It will change things. The Word of God is powerful. The Bible says it's extremely powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. The most powerful thing, listen to me, the most powerful thing you can do as a person of faith is get the Bible inside of you and learn to speak the Bible into your life. It will change your circumstances. It makes stuff out of nothing. It will help you overcome when it looks like you're going to lose. It will bless you when it looks like you're going to be cursed. It will turn your life around. You say, I don't believe that. That's why your life sucks. <laughs> You've got to get this in you. And when you do this, it will change you. Isn't it amazing? Of all the things Jesus could do to resist and defeat Satan, he simply said, it is written. And quoted the Bible right back to him. And he overcame in those circumstances. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us and you care for us. We thank you for the word of God that we have. And that it is so powerful. Help us, O oh God to get this into our lives. Help me as a pastor to get it into all these people. The power of the scriptures. Help us to learn to speak the word of God in our lives and over our circumstances. To release the power of God so that while we're doing the best we can, we're not trusting the best we can. We're trusting God who can make us do way better than we can on our own. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.